Negotiation skills are something that you absolutely need if you're in business and you're in sales, but it's something that most people struggle with because they don't have a framework to work with. They don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. So how can you improve your negotiation skills? Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo. Aloha from Sacramento, California today. Today's a fantastic day. I'm coming to you live from the How to Sell Show studios. And we are going to talk about negotiation and skills training. Negotiation and skills training. And there's a couple things that I'm going to have to share with you that some of this is going to be like tactical, meaning like here you do this and you do this. And then some of it's going to be story-based. But I want you to know that storytelling is a form of negotiation. Storytelling is an... And, and just think about that because everybody's got a story and sometimes it's used against you, okay? But today's magic word is respect. <laughs> I remember watching Sesame Street as a kid and they would always say the word of the day or this, this episode is powered by, and so today's word is respect. And so I want you to think about something that, you know, prior to eBay, most people didn't do a lot of bidding. They didn't do a lot of, I'm going to purchase something. They just went out and they bought it. And the reason I bring up eBay is because, like, you know, that is a form of negotiation, even though it's all in the clicks. It's all in the clicks. And this is going to be powerful for you when it comes to the end when we talk about another topic. So I'm opening a loop, but it's important. It's important. Okay. So the average person buys two to three major items about every five years. So as it sits today, the average person buys a house or sells a house about every five to seven years. The average person buys a car every five to seven years. So two to three items every five to seven years. And, and there's a huge reason why I bring this up is most people on a daily basis don't have, to ne- don't have to negotiate. And so standardized pricing for us in the United States is something that came into existence around 1918, 1830 to 1840. It used to be if you went into a general store, you had to negotiate for everything. There was no standard pricing, okay? So we've this is, this is a phenomenon for earth that we've had maybe for the last 180 years. So it's relatively new to us. But there's a lot of cultures around the world that everything you do is a negotiation. I mean, like literally, you go to the store and you you want to buy some some a, a bucket of beans, it's a negotiation. You don't pay a set price like everybody else. And And so some cultures, that's what they do. And some cultures, it's not what we do. So for you, I bring this up because like sometimes you just got to get used to asking for better terms. And I, I've always been surprised when I meet with a buyer or client and they don't ever say, can you do better? They, they just, it's not something that they think about. It's not something that they do. And so if you really want some better negotiations and skills training, you have to give up the fear of rejection. Well, I mean, it's your money. You don't, you don't have to do it. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, this summer I went to go buy a vehicle with my mom. She needed it for her fleet. And, uh, because of the way that things have transpired, there's not a ton of vehicles and she has a set parameter for what she's looking for, for a color and for a vehicle and a make because of a fleet, all of her vehicles are one style. Okay. So we located a vehicle 
and we drove to the Bay Area. And so, like, I live in Sacramento. We drive to the Bay. You know, it's a it's a 90-mile drive. <laughs> in traffic, it can be four hours. So we drive to the Bay Area, and we're sitting at the table and talking to the sales guy. And I train salespeople. I work with business owners. It's something that I do. So I look at the guy and I go, hey, great. Like the truck, like everything about it. What can you do about the price? And so, you know, he looks at me and says, the price is the price. And I smile and he smiles and I smile and he smiles. And I just sat there. And, um, you know, you could tell that he was getting nervous because he didn't know what to do. He, he didn't know how to take it. And that's not a bad thing. It's just most people aren't used to asking for what they want and being quiet. And so did it end up in a discount? No, it didn't. And that's okay. But at least I asked. Okay. But like sometimes it comes down to that awkward silence and that, that awkward uh, emotion of what's going on. And you just got to know that sometimes in some markets it happens and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, when there's a lot of demand in a marketplace, you may end up losing out on a deal. So the, there's always the risk of loss. There's always a risk of loss. And sometimes just people just overall become too greedy. They get too caught up in the deal. They get too caught up in like, these are all the things that I want. And, you know, there's a point where sometimes sellers are like, eh, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to walk away. It's a market where every, I, I got something and I got somebody else that, can, that I can sell to. And uh, I want to let you know that my thinking on negotiations has been heavily influenced by two people, two people. Uh, Jim Camp wrote a book called Start With No or No, The Only Negotiating Tool You'll Ever Need. Those are both very good books. They, they have a lot of similar content, but I'm going to tell you hands down, fantastic books. And then Never Split the Difference from, from uh, Chris Voss. I'd say between those three books, out of all of the books on negotiations and strategies that I've read, those will get you the furthest. There's some other honorable mentions, but if you're really looking for the down and the dirty, like I really want to be good at what I do and I really want to have good strategy, hands down, Jim Camp, start with no. And then also know the only negotiating tool you'll ever need. I just want to let you know that those books have a lot of similar content. They, they have a lot of crossover. So either one of them are going to be fine. Okay. And then Chris Voss never split the difference. Just remember the word of the day for this episode is respect. So I want to tell you a story because like this is important and it's going to have a lot to do with the sales process. So at one point, um, I used to DJ. I love house music. Oh, I love, I love like the French touch, the stuff from like the late nineties, early two thousands. And I've got a ton of records. I mean, I've got my Technics 1200s and a mixer, but I had some DJ equipment and I needed to let it go. I was like, you know what? I'm, that's not anything that I do anymore. I don't go to parties. I don't DJ. You know, I still got my turntables, I still got my records, and I still got a good monitor. And uh, I took very good good care of my gear because, like, you know, it was my gear, and, and I paid a lot of money for it. And so I put everything up as a package, and I wanted a set amount for it. In my mind, I was like, okay, if I if I get X amount of dollars, I'm going to be happy. Because, like, at some point, you just got to go. It's it's too much mental real estate to try to, to, to get every nickel out of this that I can. And people on Facebook Marketplace are typically flakes. So this guy reaches out to me probably like 10 o'clock at night. And I, I there's a point where I shut down and I'm like, I don't answer messages. I don't, met, like, I have this whole routine before I go to bed. Like, what I focus on before I go to bed is, is what I sleep on. So I didn't message this guy back. He messaged me what I would consider as late in the evening. And I didn't get back to him. So he kept messaging me. Hey, I really want this stuff. I, I really want this stuff. 
And so we go back and forth and I don't remember what I had it listed for. I don't know. Let's say two grand. Um, I, I have this stuff listed for two grand. I mean, I paid $9,000 for everything and it's, I don't know, 10, 15 years old. So I, I have it listed for two grand. It's all top notch JBL gear, you know, super loud, super thump powered subs. And this guy's messaging me, messaging me and my brain. I got to go, okay, there's a difference between being needy and fake needy and fake needy is super dangerous. Fake needy, super dangerous. And the reason is, is you are going to meet with a buyer who is fake needy and fake needy is I want this. I need this and I need it immediate. And then what happens is when you um, give the concessions that they want, then they back off. Right? So this is their version of cat and mouse. This is their version of I'm testing the waters. And so like in, in any, in any transaction, there needs to be some push and there needs to be some pull. And my brain automatically recognizes this guy's pattern. My brain automatically goes, this is what this guy is up to. You know, his strategy is I need it. I need it. I need it. And so I'm giving pushback hundred percent of the way he's offering me less than I want, which is fine. I, whatever, it was just taking up space in my garage. Got to let it go. And so He's, he's giving me examples. He's telling me stories. He's telling me what he wants to use it for, which is fine. But his story was his negotiation tool. That was his lever. That was his pry bar for, for the sales process. That's the thing that he was going to do. So his sales strategy was, you know, I want it. I want it. I want it. Fake needy. Let me tell you a story. Now I can tell you from interacting with this guy that this guy buys and sells a ton of stuff on Facebook Marketplace. And, you know, the the timing that he had was off. Um, the interactions, he was a nice guy. And ultimately, I ended up selling to him. You know, um, I had other offers on the table. And the reason that I went with it was because I got pretty close to what I wanted for, in my mind, I said, here's my, my watermark. If I get, I don't know, 1500 bucks for the stuff, I'll let it go. So we came to a price pretty close to 1500 bucks. Let it go. I, I probably could have gotten two grand for it. But at the same time, you know, there's time value of money. And then there's also meeting with people on, on Facebook. But the reason that I want to give you this example is, is there's two things from it. One, everybody's got a motive, including me. I got a motive on this how to sell show. I do. I want to help you be better at what you do. I want to help you negotiate better. And you may look at me and go, Scott, you know, you probably should have worked harder for the deal. You probably should have closed it. I just wanted to move on with my life because one, it allowed me to close a chapter and say, I'm letting go of this part of my life. I'm no longer that guy. I'm no longer that person. Right. So like my motive was multiple fold too. you know, 1500 bucks is 1500 bucks. There's other things that I can buy with and buy some cryptocurrency. There's some cool things that I can do with 1500 bucks. But what, what I really want to want you to take away from this is there is a dance. There's a dance to every deal. No matter how big, no matter how small, you need to learn the rhythm of your partner. And the only way that you can do that is to slow things down. And especially when somebody's in demand and they're trying to speed it up, you got to ask yourself why. Why are they in such a position to push so fast to get you to move so quick? What? Why are they into such speed? And in a deal, speed can be dangerous. And so for you, you're probably thinking of a time where somebody brought you a fake deal, like somebody acted genuinely interested and too much interest up front 
can be dangerous. Not every time, because there's going to be people who actively need what you, they, what you have to offer, but there's a danger in neediness in that if they're beyond needy and desperate, desperate people are the first people to bite you. So I can think of a lot of deals that I have made, especially when I was doing in-home sales, that somebody would come to me desperate and I would go out of my way to help them. And there's a time value to this. So I'm going to give you my time value. It doesn't necessarily mean it's your time value. I just want to give you a point of reference. That if I spent over five or six hours cumulative with somebody, you know, sitting down with them, trying to talk through, trying to work things around, it always came to bite me in the butt. Because what they would do is they would say, you spent all this time with me and then you took advantage of me. And they may not, they, they didn't always exactly say it that way. It wasn't always explained that way. It was just, you took advantage of me. So I will say that there is an inherent danger in dealing with uh, people who are desperate. So like there's multiple lessons in here, okay? So there's fake needy, there's desperate, and then there's people that, that they're, if you're needy, they will take advantage of you. They will fleece you for your money. So as you take a look that... If I, if I give you a different example that has nothing to do with sales, uh, it has everything to do with playing ball with a dog. And, you know, if you got like a golden retriever or a lab or a German shepherd or, you know, like a neighbor or friend has one and that dog likes to pay, play ball, the dog is super excited when they see that ball. And you can probably throw it 10 or 15 times and then they start getting tired out. Well, the same thing happens in a negotiation process, right? The, the ball that you're going to throw is some of the things that you don't necessarily want or you don't necessarily need, or you can just throw things out. But there's got to be some back and forth. So in the example that I gave you with the guy with the speakers, we both had a different version of throwing the ball. His version was fake neediness. His version was a low-dollar bid. His version was a story. So... Every time that he threw that ball or, you know, tried to use his gambit, as some people would call it, he was doing it to wear me down. Okay. I'm like, great. I see what you're up to. No problem. So my stalling and my telling him no was my version of throwing the ball and wearing him down. So I got a question for you. How, how have you mapped out your process? What have you done? What's your version of throwing the ball? What are some things that you can do? And this doesn't have to be perfect. You could probably do this on a napkin. You can put this on sticky notes and put them on a door. You can put them on a desk. But what are your options? What are your things that you can do to slow the process down? You know, fast deals can be dangerous deals. That's the way that I look at it. You know, for something low dollar, I'm not too worried about it. But for something that I can end up with some legal issues, I'm going to slow things down and take a look. And the more that somebody wants to speed something up, I start asking why. And then I will tell you that in my mind, because I'm a human being and we all do this, the greed concept pops in. And and you and me, me included, I am raising both hands right now. The greed concept in our brain starts going, I can take advantage of this. I can do this. And then I have to back off and go like, look, if I get greedy in a deal that's going to lead to something bad for me, this is just my personal belief. It doesn't have to be your belief. But there's a point where I got to go, damn it, Scott, I'm being greedy. I got to knock this off. I'm being greedy. I will literally talk to myself out loud. I'm being greedy. I got to knock this off. You know, at what point in my mind is this a good deal? At what point in my mind am I just being an idiot? Okay. Because there's deals that I've lost from being dumb. I got too greedy. 
And, and chances are good you've done the same thing. Your dog and stick example, you kept throwing that ball too far and the dog got tired and then it was like, I just don't want to play anymore. It happens, okay? So with that being said, you have to care, but not that much. You know, I, I didn't have to make this deal. It wasn't, it wasn't do or die. It wasn't like uh, I got to make a house payment. It wasn't like I got to put food on the table. Um, I just wanted the space in my garage. I wanted to close that chapter of my life. So, you know, I didn't have to make the sale. I didn't have to close the deal. It made it that much easier for me. So when, when you're in a struggle situation, like I, I can completely understand in 2008, 2009, I, I lost a lot of my stuff in the crash of the market. I sold off furniture to stay alive. I, I sold off things in my house that I didn't necessarily need. And I took a big hit on it, but like, at least I had the cash. Okay. In that, in that example, I was desperate. I, I was fighting to survive. You're going to act differently in a fight to survive. Then you're like, eh, I don't necessarily need it. But in a sales process, you have to convey that, eh, I don't necessarily need it. So you don't come across needy. So you don't get fleeced. And, and so some of that comes from your pitch and from your tone, but a lot of it comes from your timing. And so here's, here's a couple of examples. You know, one of the things that you can do is you can watch Pawn Stars. Now, some of that show is scripted and some of it's fake, but there's a lot of, of, of crossover to what really happens in life. There's a lot of interactions that go back and forth. And the timing on it is pretty close to what real life interactions are, but not always exactly. And so there is about a three to a seven second pause between when people are making decisions. And so that's not 100%. We're going to do the 80-20 rule. Three to seven seconds is about, about normal for most instances. All right. And it can, it can depend upon how big the sale is and depend upon what's going on with the people. It can take a couple of minutes. And so what you really have to do is get good with time and silence. And so like um, if you're ever sitting with me, if you get the chance to sit and watch me do a deal, under the table, I'm tapping my foot and I'm counting 2001, 2002, 2003, 2000. And I'm focusing on the count because then that way I'm not, I'm not getting in involved in the deal. I'm just sitting there and I'm being quiet and I'm letting people make their decision the way that they need to do it. And so there is a good rhythm to sales calls. There's a good rhythm to presentations. There's a good rhythm to negotiations. And the struggle is most salespeople become Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because they focus too hard on, on the outcome of like, I need to close this deal. And their need, their neediness kicks over, kicks in. Um, one of the best resources for neediness that I can think of is, um, is Oren Clough. Oren Clough is probably the one person that opened my mind about 10 years ago to how neediness betrays you in the sales call, along with Jim Camp's Start With No. Like in the first chapter of Start With No is Do Not Be Needy. And so like those two resources that if I can give you anything, and I, I, two of the best resources I can think of for not being needy, okay? And then smile and have fun. Like uh, I have noticed something in people who are really good at deal making is they like to smile. They, it's fun for them. There's people who go, I hate negotiating. So they're not good at negotiating because they pre-program themselves to say, I hate negotiating. So you, you do have to smile. You do have to have some engagement. With that being said, I want to give you a couple of tips that I've learned along the way. Some people, they just need to win. And, you know, there there's people that that's all they want is they want the ability to prove that they have power, that they got one over on you. 
And what they don't realize is that feel and that need shines through. And, you know, if it comes down to it and someone's like, I need it for this much, you know, there's always the example of the take it or leave it. If you, if you don't do it today, then I'm not going to move forward. You know, there, there's, there's two, there's two types of pressure. There's push and there's pull. And so even though that somebody thinks that they have power with money, they forget that it's the cheapest commodity on, on earth and that there's always somebody else out there willing to pay it. Just not be at the time that you want. Okay. So if you're a salesperson and you're desperate or there's something going on in your life and you're desperate and you're not a salesperson, but you're listening to this episode of the how to sell show, just know you're in a dangerous position because your focus can betray you. Don't get me wrong. Focus is super important in the sales process, but it can betray you as well. With that being said, is um, if it's at all possible, go do some sales right, right along. Go watch some salespeople. Go see how they close deals. Go watch the dance. And so um, there's a TV show, Dancing with the Stars. And you can tell when people have really good choreography. You can tell when people are like, oh my goodness, that person is very elegant. I don't know a ton about dancing, except for I, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm not good at dancing. I'm a train wreck on the dance floor. Uh, personal confessions here on the How to Sell show. But I can tell you this, I can spot good dancing when I see it. I, I There's a lot of things that I'm not good at, but I can spot it when I see it. Okay. And so the same thing happens when you watch a really good salesperson. You may not be the best at it, but you can go back and watch. And if you're working with a salesperson, you can later on ask them questions about the deal. Why'd you do it that way? And they may come back and go, well, I did it that way because if, if I would have if I would have moved faster, it would have in, invoked some neediness inside of the buyer. So greed, absolute greed can be a form of neediness and you have to be careful about where you're at with that. And so you, you can go watch sales processes. That's one of the things that I really like doing when I work with salespeople is to watch their process. And then one of the things that I really like to do when, the, when I'm done watching them is to interview them and say, hey, why did you do that? How, how did you come to the conclusion that that was going to be the right thing for you to do? And then to hear they're like, well, this is the reason why I do it. If I do it another way, that this is the thing that people are going to ask me for. And uh, I heard a saying from a guy named Roland Frazier. I was in Austin, Texas a couple of weeks ago for a deal-making class. And he said, hey, look, at some point you're beyond the book. At some point you're beyond reading and you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to make stuff happen. And so by you going and watching salespeople live and by interviewing closers and role-playing with them, you're going to get things from them that you can't learn from a book. Don't get me wrong. You can learn a ton from a, an episode like this of the How to Sell Show because I'm, I'm sharing with you tone. I'm sharing with you inflection. I'm telling, sharing with you stories. But there's a point where you have to go out and you have to do this on your own. So you're beyond a podcast episode. You're beyond a, a YouTube video. And uh, things that I've seen, so insights that I've seen that most transactions have a three series volley. So let's say that I have a product that's for sale for 10 grand. The buyer is going to tell me no. Then I'm going to come back and say, how about we do it for nine grand? The buyer is going to say no. And I'm going to say, how about we do it for eight grand? The buyer is going to say no. And I say, how about we do it for seven? So there's three volleys there, which uh, is pretty interesting because just recently, I was talking to one of my friends that's Chinese, and he said, hey, Scott, there is an Asian proverb that you have to say no three times before you buy. And I was like, really? He says, yeah, yeah, you know, that's something that I was raised with. And I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting, because most transactions 
are only three volleys deep. And so what happens is most salespeople are not prepared to deal with three volleys. They're not prepared to pay play fetch. That's the way I look at it. Remember, I gave you the dog example. There's only so many times you can throw the ball before people get tired. And every every person has got a different version of this. But at the end of the day, there's a point where people are like, I finally got what I wanted. And some people just want the bragging rights. This is what I paid for this. And some people, they don't want to put in the work. <laughs> so, you know, uh, there's times where people would come to me when I was doing in-home sales and, and they would say, here's the number that I want to buy at because they didn't want to go through a sales process. And however they came up with the number, I don't know what it was. But, you know, there would be some people that on the spot would start to negotiate. And then there was people like me. I'm like, how do I know that that's what you need? You know, if I if I diagnose this problem without investigation, that's malpractice. And they would inevitably say, well, somebody told me this is what I need and this is what I'm going to pay for it. And I'm like, well, the good news for you is you could probably pay that person that, but I don't know that that's what you need. So I'm not going to go down this path. And they would say, well, then tell me what I'm going to, you know, what you think the best thing for me is to do. Or they would say, leave. Well, you know, one, I've always uh, in the back of my mind said, hey, look, if you put me against pressure and put me on the wall, I'm going to do something completely different. And two, when I did sales like that, I always worked for companies that were more expensive than everybody else by 30, 40, 50%. So if I was dealing with somebody who all they cared about was the price, they weren't my buyer. And I would say, okay, nice to meet you. And they would go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the second that somebody says, whoa, 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 you have something that they want. You have information. You have knowledge. You have something that they need now. Now, I'm not saying that this works for you for every example, and I'm not saying this is how you need to sell, and I'm not saying this is the way that you should do it. I'm just giving you an example from my life. When somebody pauses and brings you back to the table, you have something that they need. And your information, the thing that you sell, the thing that you know about, the thing that you're knowledge about has value to it because you put in time, effort, energy, and risk to it. So whatever widget or gizmo that you know about has value. You know, when somebody puts a pause on you, you know that like that's not really the thing that they want. Now, this is not always 100% because there are people out there that all they want is free information from you. And so I would tell people like, look, it's my job to help you with a proposal and put something together, but it's not necessarily my role to teach you. I can give you consulting. You know, my consulting fee is 500 bucks an hour. And the moment that I felt like the only reason that I was at a proposal back in the day it was to give free information. I was like, I'm not going to do this unless there's a commitment from you. I, you know, I need a commitment that this is something you want to do. If people wouldn't commit, I'd be like, Hey, thanks for having me out. You know, I'm not, I'm not a free design consultant. That's what I tell them. Not a free design consultant. So part of this is you got to be willing to walk away. You got to be willing to say, this isn't something that I'm willing to do. I'm not a free design, uh, you know, consultant, whatever version of your, your processes that you want to share. So you got three volleys that go back and forth. You have them mapped out. Do you know what you're going to do? Do you have a playbook? Like you look at most sports, every, 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 most sports, every sports has a playbook. What's your playbook? What's your discounting playbook? What's your negotiation playbook? What's your, what's your, um, this is what I'm going to do it for. This is where I'm at. You know, there's people who value time more than money. And there's people who value money more than time. Which person do you want to work with? You know, there, there's people on this planet that like the second they're like, I get it. Somebody asks me for a discount, I'll move them down a product line. 
somebody's really pushing hard and saying, I'm not going to do it for this much, I'll say, well, you know, call me back when you're ready. Call me back. But I'm, I'm in a different position in my life than I was 10 years ago. You have to decide what person that you're going to deal with. Okay. On this list, you got to get used to timing. You got to get used to timing. You got to get used to the rhythm. You got to get used to the dance. So in something physical, you got something like dancing with the stars. I can give you a, a physical version that there's a choreography to negotiation. There's a timing, there's a pitch, there's a tone. And you have to get used to it. And the only way that you can do it is through the reps. There, there's no other way to fake this. Um, I can give you a generic example that most interactions and pauses are about three to seven seconds. And you can watch Pawn Stars and you can see that because I've timed it like hundreds of episodes. I'm kind of a, a geek when it comes to sales. I get it. I can tell you that, but until you physically do it on your own, it's not going to mean as much. Okay. So with this being said, you're going to have to learn how to ask better questions and questions, questions and stories are going to be, you you can, can, they're not going to be only, but questions and stories can be your go-to move when it comes to negotiations. So, you know, uh, I, I just have this belief that whoever asks the better questions wins in life, whoever has the better story wins in life. So, uh, I gave you the example of the guy that was buying my DJ equipment and, you know, he had a story. And I knew that when I put this item up for sale, that there was going to be some sort of story. There's always a story. Just just get used to it. You're going to sell something on Facebook. You're going to sell it on Craigslist or whatever your version of marketplace is. You're going to have people come to you with a story. So start mapping out and choreographing what you think the dance is that people are going to do. Guess up front. You know, start doing some third-party sales. It's very low stakes. Just go around your house and find 10 things that you're willing to sell, 10 things that you don't use. And put them up on Facebook Marketplace. Put them up on Craigslist or, or, or um, I don't know what they're called in other countries. Just Google it. You'll find it. And and just get used to the dance. Get used to the conversations. Get used to how people come at you. And like here here is the normal thing. People will ask you if the item's still available and you're going to say yes. And then right off the bat, people are going to ask you what is the best price you're going to take for it. And so... They're, they're trying to throw the stick just one time. Right? I gave you the dog example of throwing the stick. Your job is to get them to throw the stick a bunch more times. Your job is to get them engaged in the dance. You know, your brain's going to go, are you freaking kidding me? This isn't how it works. Yeah, it is. It's how it works. It's okay. Use it. Use it for repetitions. Use it. This is an example to get you how to negotiate your skills better. Put that thing up there and, and come back and say, well, what are you willing to offer me? You know, and, and like, just know that that's a repetition. That's a, that's one, that's one, two, three. Remember most negotiations take two or three volleys. And let's say, let's just, let's just use easy math. Let's say that you're selling a product for $10 and like in your mind, you're like, if I got seven bucks for it, I'd be happy. If I got $7 for this thing, I'd be happy. Okay. Well, if you get $10 for it, you're going to be just as happy. If you get $8 for it, you're going to be just as happy, but you got to go back and forth like three times. And they're going to come back and say, well, what's, what's the best thing you can do? And so like I say nine and they're going to come back and they're going to lowball you. I promise you, they're going to come back at five and then you're going to come back at eight and then you're, they're going to come back at six and you're going to say, well, why don't we settle at seven? That's just almost every single time. If you play the math out, it's 10, nine, eight, seven, almost every time. But you know, scale out the numbers to whatever you're selling. That that's, that's typically how it plays. And so you get used to going through the sales process by doing third-party third party, third party um, 
third-party sales. You're taking a used product that you really don't care about. And you're going to get used to this because trade and barter are two things that most people don't have to do in this lifetime. And if you're in sales, you know, it's just a reminder for what you need to do. It's free cash for things that you have around the house. And if you've never done sales and you're thinking about getting into sales, this is something that you can do. You can read books on deals, read books on deals. Um, I like reading books on big deals and there's a, there's a couple of, of good books out there. Um, there's ones about Warren Buffett and his stories. There's not a ton of books on deal making, just so you know. Um, reading books on biographies of billionaires is kind of a good way to do it. Uh, I read the book from George Ross, who wrote The Trump Way of Negotiating, and it was a disappointment in the book. I thought it was going to be way better. It was just like old strategies, and it was kind of thrown together for name rights. And I was hoping that it was going to be good. So, like, I'm going to give you the book to not read. And then talk to deal makers in your real life everybody knows somebody who's a really good deal maker. And if you don't, you should befriend one. You should, you should uh, look for people who are really good at making deals and ask them questions. Like if you were going to do this, you know, um, I heard Tony Robbins say this. He said, take a rich man to lunch. And rich isn't always monetary, but it can be. Rich can be somebody who's good with relationships. Rich can be somebody who's good with, with um, making deals happen. Rich can be somebody who's good at having empathy or listening. But like if it comes down to it and you got to pay somebody for their time, for their insights, there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, you'll value it more. You know, even to this day, there's people that I reach out to and say, what do I got to do to buy an hour of your life? And sometimes people will reach back to me and go, hey, Scott, you know, I'm more than willing to meet with you. And I'll say, look, this is consulting. Um, I, I would rather compensate you for it. And if the people come back and say, no, let's just go ahead and do lunch. And we'll, you know, at some point I'm going to need something from you. I'm like, fine. But I reached out to a guy that I've known for 10 years, a couple months ago, and said, hey, I've got some questions about something. What's, your, what, what, what's it going to take for me to buy an hour of your time? And the guy said, 500 bucks. I said, send me a PayPal link. And I'll tell you that the insights that he shared with me um, in that hour that I had with him saved me probably about $100,000 in mistakes. So with that being said, is sometimes you're going to have to pay people to get what you, what you need and it's going to cost you. And so sometimes it's going to be that you buy lunch. Sometimes it's going to be that it's a, it's a fight for you to come up with the money, you know, to, to pay them. But like in this example, I was going to go down one path of doing some training. And he was like, Scott, I've been there before. Here's the pitfalls. And it was going to cost me a ton of money to build something out. And so by him sharing with me, like, don't do it that way. Like that $500 was super cheap compared to making a $100,000 mistake. Uh, the reason I bring this up is, not all the things that you can get can come from a book. Sometimes you got to go do the deal. Sometimes you get to interview somebody and it does take time, energy, and effort. The, this is a dance. Some people are just naturally talented and it sucks because you look at them and you're like, oh, that person's naturally talented. It's so easy for them. And then there's the people who make it look easy because they've done the repetitions. So you're going to have to make a decision. What do you want to do? And then when you take a look at it, map out your process and then you know, figure, figure with the, the 10 reps that you go when you, when you go sell something on Facebook or a third party site and, and see what it takes. I mean, the, the real life version of this is you can go to a pawn store and no price in a pawn store is real. Like if there is a real pawn store in your town, you should go in there. And it's funny to see what they value stuff at. And that's, that's a flag price. That's priming. So like, uh, today I've got an H6, mixer. This is a Zoom H6 mixer that my microphone is going into. Okay. And these things brand new when they came out were 399 bucks. And 
you know, I, I'll go to pawn stores just to watch people negotiate and see what they'll, they're willing to sell things for. But I'll also go in and listen to what people are up to. So this, this mixer, brand new. I can go to Amazon all day long and I could pick one up for like, like 350 bucks. But I went into a pawn store in Reno, I want to say three months ago. And they had one of these H6 mixers set for like 500 bucks. And I, I looked and I kind of smiled because I knew what they were trying to do. They were pushing the price up, right? They're trying to say that this is the real world value. These things should be $500. And I went to this pawn store and, you know, people in pawn stores are, you, they, they're you darn good negotiators. And so I said, okay, what would you really take? So like I throw out my, the, the, the stick with the furthest point that I can throw it. Like what, what would you really take? And the guy was like, I would take 400. And I said, I could buy one of these things brand new for 400. Like, I'll give you 250. Like, we're playing the game. We're going back and forth. And ultimately, I didn't buy it because I didn't need it. But I needed, I just wanted the repetition. I wanted to go into a pawn store and it was fun. And I ended up talking to the guy for a while. And we talked about negotiations when I was done. And he kind of smiled. And he was like, you know, nobody's ever really come to me and said that, like, it would be good to learn negotiations from a pawn person. And he's like, I've done this for a really long time. So, just know that uh, I kind of got off on a tangent and I'm sorry. As you go through this process, there's natural things that happen and there's certain markers that you should know. Like if you have some sort of a checklist, you're going to say like, okay, here's the, here's the story. Here's the destitute story. Here's their reason why everybody's got a reason why they want to buy something from you on a third party site. They're going to give you all the reasons. And the bigger the story, the bigger the discount, the crazier the story, the crazier the discount. Okay, because like in their mind, they're like, I'm justifying this. So when you meet with a buyer, when you meet with somebody that you're selling to, and they've got a crazy story, just know that the crazier the story is, typically the bigger the discount that they want. The, the, typically the bigger the ask is at the end. So can you learn negotiation skills? Yeah, absolutely. Should it be something you put as a priority priority for what you do? Yes, I'm going to say 100%. Get really good to your negotiation skills because it's it's something you use in everyday life. You just don't realize it. And if you're like, no, I don't. Like if you have kids, you use negotiation every day. If you work with coworkers, you use negotiation every day. You know, it's just like when you go to the grocery store, it's not something you think about all the time. But, you know, even then there's times where you could ask, hey, is there anything better you can do on this? I bought a brand new laptop. I'm going I'm to tell you this story. Um, I was heading to Austin a couple of weeks ago and I like, I love 13 inch Dell laptops, but I like the ones that have a PD power charger so I can charge it in my car. 13 is perfect for travel between going back and forth to Hawaii, going back and forth to LA, going back and forth to Texas. 13 is like the perfect to travel with. And my laptop was having failure at the charging port. And so, um, Dell makes a good 13 inch laptop. You know, you may think otherwise you can tell, Hey Scott, you should get an Apple. I don't have an Apple. So, uh, the local Best Buy had a Dell open box and this laptop was supposed to be 1400 bucks and it was marked down to like 950. So being the sales guy that I am, I look at the guy, I'm like, is there anything better you can do on this open box? And he says, no, the price is the price. And I go, great. I go first volley, first volley. So, um, I said, well, ask a manager. Don't just shut me down. Come on, man. <laughs> I'll give you some free sales training. Ask the manager. So he calls the manager. And the manager, I say, hey, look, I want to buy this laptop. I'm willing to buy it right now. It's an open box. There's no charger. By the way, I have like eight chargers at my house because I have a whole bunch of Dell laptops. So I didn't really care. So 
He goes, there's nothing that I can do. The price is the price. I go, come on, man. I learned that from Chris Foss. So the guy's like, all right, I'll give you 25 bucks off. It's not something something that we, we normally do. So had I not learned that from Chris Voss inside of one of his interviews, I would have never known to go, come on, man, you know, and have some fun with it. So the reason I bring this up at the very end is have some fun. Learn how to negotiate and have some fun with it so that you can get better at what you do. And I promise you, it'll enhance your life. It will. It'll make you better at what you do, a better communicator. Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo.